Really glad you're here. You caught us um, in the middle of a series. We're talking about the importance of the church and kind of what it matters to us, why it matters that we're together, what it, matter, what it is that God has really called us to. And I was remembering this. It was actually a little bit less than four years ago as we were getting ready for what seemed to be an incredibly contentious election. I remember standing here in front of you and basically saying, hey, this seems to be a really, there seems to be a lot of anger and division in our country right now. I was like, man, let's just, we need to be praying for this election. And I'm just afraid that if, that, that regardless of who wins, that, 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 that there's just going to be a lot of anger and, and backlash and pain that we needed to guard against it ourselves and we needed to help others. We need to be praying and, 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 you know, I'm not some great prophet, but that is exactly what happened. And um, four years later, that, that I would love to be able to say that the anger and division in our uh, country has subsided. Uh, but that is obviously not the case. The division has only intensified and the anger and the emotions and the passions have only intensified. And you add to that a global pandemic and there's just a lot in here. And my, I would say that my fears now are greater even than they were four years ago. And then you add to that um, the recent passing of a Supreme Court justice over the last couple of days. And, I'm, and, I'm, and again, I'm not, this is a pretentious phrase, I'm not some harbinger of doom, right? I'm not some, like, but at the same time, what's about to happen? This next month may be one of the most intense political months in my adult lifetime. And whatever's going to happen over the next month, as, as whatever is going to happen as far as the attempt to replace this Supreme Court justice, whatever's going to happen in that is going to be intense, and then right after that is there's going to be another election. And, man, I, I just want to go ahead and say now, even though it's September, man, let's just go ahead and get our hearts right. Because no matter what happens, approximately 40% of the population is going to be really, really angry. And my first encouragement to you is to not be a part of that 40%. If the person that you really hope is going to win um, doesn't, and the person that does win is someone that you have perceived to be evil and an enemy of the, of, of the country or whatever, and let, let's, just, let's just not. Let us individually and collectively as God's people remember that our hope and our life is found in Jesus. And that governments come and go, politicians come and go, presidents come and go, and our God is the same. And he is the one that we have hope in, he is the one that we have life in, and we will be uh, examples, models, carriers of hope and light. But as I was thinking about all of this and this pending whatever is about to happen and thinking about this series that we're in, I'm just like, man, what is it? What is it that our little corner of the world, what is it that we're clamoring for? What is it that people need? What is it that they want? What is it that, that what is this anger? What is this emotion? What is it coming from? What are the things that they wish were true that aren't? And you see a lot of common themes, even if there's a lot of, of disagreement 
about, about, about the particular issues and, and, and how to resolve them. Man, but, but we want equality. We want justice. And I think underneath all of that, we clamor for hope, for peace, for direction, for guidance. And I want to tell you this, that those, all of those things, those are the things that Jesus said he would bring. These are the things that Jesus said he was about. He was going to bring hope. He was going to bring peace. He was going to bring justice. That's what Jesus does. He brought those things and said, now I've brought them. Now you guys, now you guys, you go take it out there. You go carry it out there. This is what God has called us to do. And I just want to say this, and I just, I can't say it enough. I, I believe this is our moment this is our moment to model and bring hope and life. This is what Jesus said he was going to do. And then he says, hey guys, go do it. And so what we're going to do this week as we continue our series and what it is God's called us to do and to be and why it matters, we're just going to look at this story, or just one of the many stories we could look at of where this is what Jesus is bringing to people. This is what Jesus is bringing to communities. And the challenge was, was, to, was to focus in on one. And so what we're going to do is we're going to focus in on this, the, the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4. In John chapter 4, starting in verse 3. So he, Jesus, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. I want you to remember that phrase. We'll come back to it. Now, he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Now, there's a few things we need to understand about this story. Because let me tell you, the setup to this story, this, this whole setup, this story, there's a lot wrong here. There's a lot wrong that maybe 2,000 years later we look at it and we don't get. But an original reader, someone who lived during this time, if they'd heard this story, they'd read this story, if they knew anything about it, it's like, there's something really broken and wrong with this. There's a lot about this that's kind of like, what, what, what? And it starts with that phrase that I mentioned. He had to go through Samaria. Now, I don't want you to read that as if he physically had to. It was like it was impossible for him not to. Because plenty of Jewish people found ways around Samaria. I got to go from here to here. I got to go through Samaria. Well, I don't have to. I can go around. It's, it's longer. It's, it's, it's inconvenient. But I can go around it if I want to. And many of them chose to. Because they didn't want to go through there. Because there was a lot of historical and racial and religious animosity between these two groups. And so when it says that Jesus had to go through Samaria, like, that just kind of is like supposed to be like, Bing, what, what, do, what do you, but what do you mean though? You naturally want to think that it was physically impossible for him not to. But that's, that's not necessarily the case. 
And so I want you to read that as he had to. He had to do this. And so he ends up in this town in Samaria around noon, and he's at the well where they come to draw water, and there is one solitary woman there. Now, imagine that you live in kind of a deserty type of place, and in order to get water for the day, you have to go out and get water. When is the time, she's like, I want you to pick a time that you definitely would not go out in the sun in the desert to go get water. Just name it, any time. Noon! That would be the last time I go, go the first thing in the morning, go in the evening. I mean, any time but noon. But there she was, by herself at the well, gathering water at the worst time of day. Why would you do that? Because I don't want to see people, and I don't want people to see me. So there's something going on there. And so then now Jesus comes up to this woman who clearly is not trying, to, not trying to be by people. And she is from this other race, this other religion, separate from and kind of hostile towards Jewish people. And, and she's a woman, Jesus is a man, and he comes to her and says, will you give me a drink? And she obviously and immediately goes, what, what is going on here? Why, why would you, I, you're a, you're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why would you talk to me? My guess is she's, her immediate reaction is to be suspicious. There is something wrong here. What is the deal with you? But here's the thing that we need to draw from that is this. Is that Jesus, he went out of his way to love her. He went out of his way to love her. He, he did not simply just kind of, oh, I just kind of happen upon this situation. He intentionally went through Samaria. He intentionally went to this well. I'm going to say he intentionally sent the disciples away to go get food so it could just be the two of them. He intentionally went out of his way to, to come to where she was and show love to her. And I find it really interesting, too, that the first thing that he said to her is any number of things. Hey, what's up? Why are you out here at noon? Hot one, isn't it? I mean, there's any number of things that Jesus could have done to initiate some small talk with her, to engage with her, or, or to talk with her about spiritual matters. I mean, it's Jesus, after all. The first thing that he says was, can you help me? Can you give me something to drink? He saw her, and not just with his eyes, but saw her with his heart, and basically is recognized, he is giving her dignity. There is something about your life that has caused you to feel afraid. There's something that has caused you to feel that you must be isolated. I want you to know, I see you where you are. Can you help me? You matter. I need your help. Now Jesus being Jesus, he knew everything that was going on here. He knew her backstory, and we're going to see a little bit of that here in a second. But there was nothing about what he said. It was nothing about whether or not she deserved dignity, whether or not she deserved this kind of attention from Jesus. It was just simply, I see you 
in your hurt and your pain, and I want you to know that you matter. She is not, I mean, so there's plenty of people like this in our world. People who for one reason or another are, do not want to be seen. Or we don't want to see them. And the thing that Jesus does is he takes someone like that, sees them, loves them, shows them dignity. And I'm telling you, there are people like, there are people like that who are in physical distress. People who are currently struggling with homelessness. People who are hungry. And they feel like that they have to be in the shadows. They don't seem. They're not really human. Will we go out of our way to see them? To love them? But it's not just simply people who are in physical distress. Because that's not what she is. There's no reason here to indicate that somehow she is impoverished. Or she is, she is struggling with hunger or anything. She's just avoiding people. Her pain is inward. Her pain is social. She is broken emotionally and socially. And he comes to her and says, I see you. You matter. And so, obviously, she is initially suspicious. And the conversation continues on like this. With Jesus, his response, verse 10. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. So he's like, man, why are you talking to me? I'm a Samaritan woman. And his response is like, hey, listen, um, if you understood who I was, we'd be having a different conversation you would be asking me for this water that I have, this, this, this water that is, that is alive. And her being literal and still being very suspicious, I mean, dude, you don't, you don't even have a bucket. You talk about you're going to get water, you just ask me for a drink of water. You say you're going to give me water, you ain't got a bucket. I don't understand where it is you're coming from. It's like you don't understand. This is, not, this is a water where you will never thirst again and it will lead you to eternal life. And again, either because she's suspicious of him or she's really literal, it's really confusing, or a little bit of everything, she still thinks he's talking about actual water. And I just want to kind of to tie back to the first thing that we were talking about. I want you to hear the desperation in this verse 15. Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here. I would be very surprised if this was a, a physical complaint. I gotta walk all the way out here. I got the bucket, fill the bucket, put the thing out. That's the water. I would I would be very surprised. I, I I feel a lot of emotional desperation in that. But what Jesus is offering her, he is offering her eternal life. He's saying, What I have the ability to give you is a relationship with God through me. If you just believed in me and understood who I was and allowed me to, to graciously and freely give you this gift, you would have 
eternal life. He went out of his way to love her, to see her, to, to give her dignity. And then he gave her the grace of the gospel. And I think it's, it's, it's really important that we understand that this is the first thing that he offered her. The first thing he did again was to, was to ask something from her to make her feel seen and valued. And, dig- and then when he starts talking about what he needs to tell her, the first thing he said was that God loves you, God sees you, and he wants to give you eternal life. Again, he said it in his vague metaphor, cryptic Jesus way, which, which he does... But that is the power of what he's trying to communicate to her. Eternal life is available for you. And I want to be real careful how I word this. And my, even my notes here are confused because I'm trying to get me, I want to say this right. Because I, what I want to say is that he's looking at her and says, You, in your brokenness, you are worthy of this eternal life. But that's not true because none of us are worthy. This is the whole point of the gospel is that our sin has broken us and we are not worthy. And as Jesus comes to a group of unworthy people and offers them forgiveness graciously, freely, without condition. And so it's not that she's worthy. I guess what what he's saying to her is um, you are no less worthy than anyone else. To be seen and loved and be in relationship with God. Whatever your story, whatever your past, however broken you are, I want you to know God sees you, God loves you, and he wants life with you. There is nothing about you that makes you any less worthy of God's favor and his pleasure and his love than anyone else. This is what he says to her. And so, um, you know, her her response to this is like, again, still kind of stuck in the metaphor, is like, well, give me this water. I don't want to have to keep coming here. And now Jesus kind of shifts the conversation a bit, a little bit in verse 16. Verse 16, he told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Now, uh, I hope at a minimum at this point in the story, we have shattered... Super nice, sweet Jesus. That little image that so many of us have, right? That Jesus only says nice things and sweet things and loves to pet lambs, right? Like that's what Jesus is. Jesus, he's, he loves lambs. And anybody who loves lambs and holds lambs on his shoulder and pets a lamb, he would never say anything like this. But this is it. This, this is what he said. Go get your husband. I don't have a husband. You're right, you don't have a husband. You've had five husbands. And this dude that you're currently shacking up with, he ain't your husband. You're right, you don't have a husband. He did give her the grace of the gospel, but then ultimately, he spoke hard truths to her too. He gave her the grace of the gospel, he spoke hard truths to her. Now, it's important to kind of make sure that we understand this, and part of me is like, man, I don't, I don't really want to 
teach this part of it because I'm afraid of what you might take from it if I say he spoke our truths to her. Because somebody would be like, now, nah, now, nah, man, now nah, I got me some, 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 some verses I want to apply. I'm ready to talk to somebody like this. I'm going to say I'll be like Jesus. Because I'm telling you, here's the deal. I, I'm not trying to criticize Jesus here because, I mean, I know he's God, he's perfect and all that stuff. But if one of you told me this story, I, I would I, I really say, man, Charlie, I was, I was talking to somebody the other day at my work. And I was, trying to, I was trying to do all the things you said. I was trying to bring life and peace to them. And, I, and I, we were talking. I was asking if they could help me with this thing. It was really cool. And I said something nice. And then I was like, man, tell me about your wife. And then he said, he said, I'm not married. And then I said, I know you ain't married. You were married to her. And then you cheated on her with this woman you're living with right now. You've got the decency to marry this one. <laughs> yeah, so... Sometimes it's a, a, a little bit challenging to, to very easily apply the things that Jesus does because he does exist on a different level with his Jesusness, right? But at the same time, this is really what we all need. We need someone who will tell us and show us that God's love is unconditional and that God loves you, he wants a relationship with you, it's not based on anything that you do. You are forgiven freely. But you know what? Your life is broken. And much of the brokenness is from self-inflicted wounds. And you need, to, you need to change some things. I think a good way to phrase it is, God loves you just the way you are. But he, he loves you too much to let you just kind of stay there. And, and, I, and I just think about all of these conversations that I've had in the past, and, and I'm, I'm hesitant to bring any of them up because anytime I would bring any of these up, you'd be like trying to figure out if you know who the person is or whatever and trying to decipher the code because I just know how you are. At least that's how I am, and I just assume y'all are bad like me. But just having conversations with people who let's just say that for whatever, re- whatever reason, the thing that they are struggling with is one of the bad things that Christians have decided are bad. These are just, there's good sins and there's bad sins, right? You know what I'm saying? Right? There's the kind of sins that are like, well, man, oh, bro, come on, you can do better. And then there's the sins that are like, gross, you're an awful person, get away from me. Which is ridiculous on its face. I just want to make sure we're all catching the sarcasm here. I don't know if sarcasm translates well, right? And, and, and you're having these conversations because there are huge numbers of people out there who would never believe that God is offering them the gospel for free. That would believe that just as they are, God would love them and forgive them. Would never believe that. Because we have gone out of our way to tell them that that's not the case. Even if we have not verbally said it, we've said it. And there are people out there, man, that we need to go to them and say, man, I, I see you. God loves you. And for some of us, that might be the easy part of the conversation. But to come to the next one and say, I mean, but you also know that you got you into this. And this thing, God doesn't approve of it. And nobody, 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 nobody wants to hear that. You don't want to hear it. 
That thing you're doing, God doesn't approve of it. Many of the problems you have, they're your fault. You should stop. Like, for real, just stop. Like, what's he talking about? You know what I'm talking about. You know. I don't need to know, because you know. Jesus knew. Jesus still does know. You don't want to hear that, but you need to hear it. He gave, he gave her what she, what she needed, what she wanted, and, what she, and, 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 and put those things together to give her hope and life. And it is a matter of bringing balance. And I think in a world where we have lived in such a way where we have condemned some people too much and we have approved of some things too much, we, I think it's going to take a level of discernment. But for your purposes, for our purposes, I'm going to say that you can't go wrong being kind by showing someone love. It's like, wow, well, uh, yeah, I get it. We, we all need to hear the truth. And Jesus is very clear with that, as he is in all of the stories that he was really nice to this tax collector who had stolen and his interaction with Jesus made him repent and give the money back. He was very kind to this woman who was caught in adultery and said, hey, for your, your, your sins, you, you, God, I don't condemn you, but don't do this anymore. This is what the world needs. It needs someone that will show them and tell them and model for them the unconditional love of God, and say, but you got to stop. And so he does this, and so at, at the point in which he says this, you can only imagine what happens next. She's, got, she's completely, totally taken aback by this. And she's like, so she, 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 he's, he's kind of attacked this very vulnerable part of her heart, and she did, she, she did what we would all do, which is deflect. Oh, looks like you're some sort of prophet, are you? Well, let me tell you about this theological controversy we have. We worship here on this mountain where Moses did all these awesome things. You built this temple in Jerusalem, and you think that's where you should worship. Where's the right place to worship? And Jesus, he hears her question. He loves her. He's like, man, but he doesn't get stuck by this. Actually, you're, just, you're asking the wrong kind of question. You're talking about where. And what really matters is who, who do you worship, who, who, who are you worshiping, and, and, and um, how are you worshiping him? You need to worship him with spirit and truth. And again, bringing these two principles out that we've already talked about, we need to worship him with, with, with a good heart, but we need to do it in truth. And so there's, there's, this, there's this grace piece, this kindness piece, but then there's also truth. You need to bring these two things together in your life. I've got the heart and the passion to worship God, but then I'm also going to get right inside me. That's what God's looking for. It's not about where you worship. And so they're bantering back a little bit forth, and basically she says, now, when, now I know that when the Messiah comes, everything's going to be great. And he says, the Messiah that you're talking about? That's me. And then she runs back to her town. Verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. 
So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. So he saw her, loved her. He, he gave her the grace of the gospel. He spoke these hard truths to her. Her life was changed. And what Jesus had then was a multiplying impact. He, he invested in this one woman who then told other people, brought other people to Jesus. Next thing you know, he's hanging out there for a couple of days and a little mini revival of sorts kind of breaks out. Where all sorts of people are starting to follow Jesus and receive the gospel. But it begins with Jesus going out of his way to love one person well. To love her well, to communicate the gospel well to her, to speak hard truths to her. And then it just ripples out into their community. And I'm telling you, you don't have to try very hard to find people broken, hurting, who feel unseen, who feel unwanted, who feel unloved, who feel that they don't matter, who feel hopeless and helpless in a broken world. And God is looking for someone to see them and to love them. And if you will do that, we will all be amazed at the multiplying impact that God will have in their life and the lives of people. If we can be like Jesus, a carrier of hope, of life, and truth to a world that needs it. Now I would imagine that some people, I tell this story, we look at this story and it's like, man, there's no way. You're trying to tell this story and you're trying to make us you're trying to make us be Jesus in this story where I was like, can you imagine you, you need to imagine you doing this for someone like this and some of you are hearing this story and you think man, I can't hear that because I'm that Samaritan woman I am the unseen one, I am the unloved one and I want you to know that if you are here or you are here online, we see you and we love you and we want you to know that God loves you. And he wants to bring you hope. And he wants to bring change to your life. He wants the gospel. He wants your, the forgiveness that comes from Jesus Christ. He wants that for your life. He wants you to have this water that will never make you thirsty again. He wants that for you. And what he wants from all of us. It's to take that message to, to individual people and to a community and to a world that is desperate for it. Let me pray.